Good morning, everyone. As you know from before, I sometimes like to do things a little bit different than what you're used to. So that's what we're going to do today. In your bulletin, there is a song called Power in the Blood Medley. It's a combination of five songs with each one a verse and a refrain. All familiar songs. As you see in the back, it says a repeat for one of the refrains. We will not do that, but sing all the way through. And uh, if you want to stand, why don't you?
Thank you for that hearty singing. That was good. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. It is good to fellowship with believers, encourage one another, and bring our praise and worship to our Creator and soon coming King, Jesus Christ. A special welcome to all guests worshiping with us and others who will be listening to the broadcast uh, via broadcast later in the week. I had the opportunity to attend a breakfast meeting with some Power to Change people a few weeks ago. They mentioned that a well drilling rig had been sent from Winkler to Benin, Africa in 2004, and Benin is the birthplace of satanic voodoo worship. They had drilled a well and received fresh, clean drinking water. This clean water eliminated most of their hygiene diseases, which came from the contaminated water that had been shared with tame and wild animals beforehand. But better yet, they had brought living water, the word of God, to the residents of that village, and today there's a church with numerous Christians standing in that place, replacing satanic worship. This well drilling and bringing living water has been replicated at least 300 times in different villages, and the government is now encouraging the well drilling and the bringing of the salvation message. What a change. Death to life, ungodly to righteousness. This story reminds me of the change we witnessed with the snowfall. A devotionalist describes it this way. A magical quietness drapes the world as snow falls and conceals the grime and the grayness and seemingly turns it into a feeling of sacredness, inviting our reflection and delight. Like a fresh start, such splendor can interrupt our lives, demanding a sacred pause. Nature may seize our attention in ways we like or don't like. Each moment may be magnificent, menacing or mundane, but it inspire the worship of our Creator. John 4, verses 13 and 14 read, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. God's mysterious works are beyond our comprehension and should be viewed with trust in his perfect, trustworthy character. Let's pray. Lord God, we approach your throne of grace with thanksgiving and praise. We marvel at how you can transform any situation and circumstance if people will yield in obedience and surrender to you and avail themselves of your power and might. Draw us into a real and personal love relationship with you that we may hear from you Turn mountains into molehills and valleys of life into joy. May our worship be a reflection of our love for you. Adjust our attitudes and train us to be equipped for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The next two songs are in your bulletin as well. First one is, O Perfect Holy Majesty, and then A Pure Heart, Lord, Create in Me.
If you take your bulletins, we'll look at the concerns and activities of the church. Uh, weekly church activities, take note of the prayer meetings and the Discover Group meetings this week, as well as the youth at Vic and Eileen's on Thursday. Our missionaries of the week are Preston and Meyer Wheeler. Continue to pray for them. Other church-supported organization, North Island's Parkway Collegiate uh, Lighthouse Group. Uh, expressions of sympathy. Peter and Eva Penner lost their grandson, Jackson Lenson, in a climbing accident on October 20th. Jackson is a son of Yolanda and Kent Lenson. The funeral service will take place on Monday. Please remember the whole family in prayer. And there's another uh, expression of sympathy that is not in the bulletin. Trudy Brown passed away on yes yesterday morning. Please remember Ed and his family in prayer. October is Park Pastor Appreciation Month. Continue to pray for and encourage Pastor Dean and Pastor Victor as they give leadership to our church. Persons with health needs uh, in Prairie View Lodge is Hilda Ham, Swan Lake Hospital, Mary Duick and John Suderman, and Manitou Care Home, A. Bay Friesen, and uh, another uh, prayer request uh, that is not in your bulletin uh, is from Jake and Judy Unra. Jake's cancer has returned, causing him a lot of back and rib pain. He will be having a radiation treatment this Tuesday and chemotherapy starting on Thursday. Please pray that the treatments will be effective in dealing with the pain and bringing healing. And I'd invite you to pray for Jake and Judy and their family. Uh, take a look at birthdays and anniversaries and the community FOSPA for Salem that's gonna be held in our church this afternoon. Uh, Dave Weeb has moved from Notre Dame to Bueller Active Living Center. Nominations Committee is still looking for fill, to fill various positions on committees, so if you feel so led, please uh, talk to them. Uh, Eva Lepke is a thank you note for uh, how they have been helped in the last number of weeks. And Helen Reimer's father, John Reimer, had a heart attack, isn't in the hospital, but he, uh, he Helen mentioned she had come home, but still is in need of prayer uh, for her and her family. And uh, take note of the quarterly membership meeting, which is being planned for the 28th of uh, November. There's also other activities. Take note of them in your bulletin and uh, read them and uh, respond like fashion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence at this worship service this morning. Your word tells us where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. We thank you for your love that sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, to the cross at Calvary as a one-time atoning blood sacrifice for sin. Lord, help us to take your hand, knowing that you will lead and guide us in the paths of righteousness and deliver us from evil. We thank you for extending grace and mercy to us, a people so unworthy of the kindness you have shown. Lord, we pray for the health needs of Jake Unra, Hilda Ham, Mary Duick, John Suderman, Abe Friesen, and John Reimer, as well as many others within our congregation and community that need a touch of the Savior's healing. We pray for the healing of their bodies. We thank you and rejoice with the people who have experienced healing. We pray for the protection on the residents and staff at our seniors and personal care homes, Eden Healthcare Center, Gateway Resources, and other local institutions. We pray that you would be the God of deliverance to Peter and Eva Penner and their family, and the Ed Braun family, as they are experiencing the valley of death. Present compassion, strength, understanding, and peace to them and to others that are grieving the loss of loved ones. Uphold our missionaries Preston and Myra Wheeler. Help them not to lose sight of the mission to which you have called them. We pray for divine protection on their family. We pray for revival and new converts to come and build the kingdom of God. Dear God, as we go about the weekly activities in our church, we pray that it would bring spiritual vibrance and maturity and a desire to serve you. We pray for our pastors, Dean and Victor, that your Holy Spirit would direct their paths and that we would not stray from the path you have set for us as a congregation. We pray that the youth of our community would be enlightened through the efforts of the Northlands Parkway Lighthouse Group and our own youth groups. 
We pray for wisdom, guidance, direction, and leadership abilities for all levels of government, school boards, health boards, the judicial system, and bureaucrats, and I pray that they would avail themselves of your great salvation. We pray a continued blessing on the mission and the activity of the people involved in all our local ministries and missions. And Lord, we thank you for the provision of finances to meet the needs of building your kingdom. I pray a blessing on the gifts and tithes and that they would be fruitful in building your kingdom. Lord God, we thank you for each participant in this morning's service as we bring you our worship. We pray your blessing on this service and particularly on Pastor Dean as he speaks on the topic, do not be yoked with unbelievers. May the truths of your word be revealed to us this morning. For we ask it in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to chapter 7, verse 1. Again, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to chapter 7, verse 1. The heading is, Do not be yoked with unbelievers. <clears throat> do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Bilah? What does a believer have in common with unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, Come from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Thus far the reading of God's word. This morning, as we continue our series of messages in 2 Corinthians entitled, Growing Deeper in the Lord, you may recall that Corinth had its share of problems. Since Corinth was a large commercial city, it also had an unbridled form of immorality and was filled with idolatry. 
However, the church itself had its share of difficulties. False teachers had infiltrated the Corinth church leadership and challenged Paul's integrity and his authority as an apostle. He was now planning to come and visit them and to straighten out some of the problems that these folks were having and that they were plagued by. Whenever the Lord is at work, we can be sure that Satan will be causing havoc amongst those individuals. In Paul's case, Satan used false teachers. Here is an example of how God uses the enemy's work to bring about good. The problems that the Corinth church was having forced Paul to write a letter, and consequently, since the Lord inspired it, it became part of the New Testament. Had he had the church not had these problems and the difficulties, these two letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, would not have been written, and we would not have them part of the New Testament. So in the midst of this, God used this for the church's good. So take your Bibles and turn with me once again to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 7-1, the scripture that Susan had read. And um, we will be referring to them as we go along. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you that in the midst, while we look at your word, that you are present and you're speaking to our hearts. We would ask, Lord, that you would just show us some new truths, new truths that we can apply to our lives, that we can live by. These are the scriptures. These are the principles. These will always remain. And we ask, Lord, that you would embed them in our hearts. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we want to look closely at what the Bible says, do not be yoked with unbelievers. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. Because number one, the believer and the unbeliever are opposites. The believer and the unbeliever are opposites. Verse 14, the first part, 14a, says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Paul is using a metaphor here of two animals having been yoked together to do work. He draws his analogy from the Mosaic law found in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, which states, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. The reason is that one is a clean animal and one is an unclean animal. Also, the ox is much stronger than the donkey. If one yokes the two animals together, you can believe that there will be frustrations between the two animals as they try to pair and pull that plow down the same way. In this verse, God speaks to the believers, saying believers and non-believers should not be yoked together. Vernon J. McGree says this, and I like this quote because he had really summed it up really well. How are people yoked together? Well, they are yoked together in any form of real union, such as a business enterprise, a partnership, a marriage, a long-term enterprise. I want to repeat that one more time. How are people yoked together? Well, they are yoked together in any form of real union, such as a business enterprise, a partnership, a marriage, a long-term enterprise. So often we think, do not be yoked together in a marriage. But it goes beyond that. It goes into our business practices of partnership, when we partner in any way with others. In other words, the principle being put forth here is the incongruity of a believer being paired with an unbeliever. We must remember that there are differences between a believer and an unbeliever. One is redeemed and the other is not. One has goals of serving the Lord and the other has not. One has a changed heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and the other's has not. One has been forgiven and the other has not. One is destined for heaven and the other is not. The question is, are there any examples of being yoked together in a non with a non-believer in the Bible? And the answer is yes, there are several examples. 
Solomon was considered the wisest king who ever lived up until this time. Yet he did something very foolish. He first married 700 women, which was wrong according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Marriage was for one man and one woman. One man and one woman only, not multiple wives, not multiple husbands. Secondly, he married foreign women who were outside his faith. They were pagan. They were on the opposite side. Solomon knew he was forbidden to do this, but he thought that he could handle it. Did he have a physical relationship with these women? And people ask that, well, how could he be married to all? No, he didn't. He did this because he wanted political expediency. What did that, what does that mean? If you're expedient and you do the definition of this, that you will do moral or immoral things to get an end result. And that's what he did. He married outside in order to have peace with the nations around him. That was already promised to him, but he stepped outside and he did his own thing, what he thought would add to his kingdom that was there on earth. However, he clung to the many foreign wives, and he had a select few of them that he was close to. If you read 1 Kings, you will find that. And he built the wife that was the Egyptian king a very lovely palace. He had peace on many sides, but it cost him dearly. He turned away from the true God, or I should say his wives, turned his head away from the true God, and he went into spiritual darkness. Samson is another example of being unequally yoked with someone not of faith. He, a judge of Israel, entered into a licit relationship with Delilah. She was untrustworthy, and he lied to her. Nonetheless, being unequally yoked had its disastrous consequences for him, according to Judges chapter 16. Regarding partnerships and being unequally yoked, at least five kings of the Old Testament aligned themselves with pagan nations, and this got them in severe trouble. First was King Ahaz of Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 16, he went to the Syrian king Tiglath-Pilser III when he was under attack. In return, Assyria came and eventually attacked him and his kingdom. Secondly was King Hoshea in 2 Kings chapter 17. He went to Egypt for help against the Syrian empire. It did not turn out well, and you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 17. Third was King Zedekiah of Judah sought help from Egypt instead of God in 2 Kings 25 verses 1 through 7, which had its disastrous consequences. The fourth king, Basha of Israel, allied with a pagan nation in 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 16 through 22, and it turned out not well for him. And fifth, then in 2 Kings chapter 1, 2 through 4, verses 16 and 17 also, King Ahaza of Israel, instead of seeking the Lord's help, went to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, and the consequences followed. When we don't follow God's word, there are always consequences. Of all these examples from the Bible, it demonstrates what Paul is communicating to to the church, that being unequally yoked has its consequences. This is an important note. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Paul isn't saying that we are not to relate and avoid the non-believer because he put all of his energy into reaching those who did not know Christ. Jesus also associated and spent a lot of time with the sinners of his day, meeting them and telling them the gospel. He became their friend, And instead, 
Believers should not partner with unbelievers because they have different goals and living standards. If you are in union with a non-believer who does not adhere to Bible values, then not only are you forced to go along with many of their decisions, but others also will see your life and see that you're not walking according to what God's standards calls you to walk. Thus, you end up not being in control of your life anymore. You serve as a poor example when in a business practice, if your business, if you're, you're linked to a non-believer and they decide they're going to spend money on abortion, at that time, you might not have any say about this. That's why there's all different things that we have to look at before we make any partnerships with anyone. And especially the first is, do they know the Lord and are they walking in fellowship with him? A Haitian pastor illustrates illustrated this to his congregation one day about being committed to Christ. This is an example taken from uh, a leadership magazine, and it tells this story. A certain man wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man wanted it very badly, but because he was poor, he could not afford to pay the full price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original with just one stipulation, that he would retain ownership of one small nail protruding from over the door. Just one small nail. After several years, the original owner wanted the house back, but the new owner was unwilling to sell that home back. So this owner, the first owner, went and found the carcass of a dead dog and hung it from the nail that was still there that he owned, the nail at the door right in the middle. Soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the house to the owner of the nail. The Haitian pastor concluded this, and this is what he said. If we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. Close quote. We must always remember a business enterprise, a partnership, a marriage, or a long-term enterprise that you enter into may force you to do things contrary to God's word. Now we come to the second reason why believers are not to be yoked together with unbelievers. The believer is a temple of the living God. The believer is a temple of the living God. Verses 14b through 16 simply says this, For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For, what, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. To emphasize and clarify the point, Paul puts forth five rhetorical uh, uh, question, uh, questions where no answer is given because the answer is so obvious. No answer is given. When you read it, you know what it is. It would be like being asked the question, do ducks have lips? Everybody knows the answer to that. Or do snakes have armpits? Everybody knows the answer to that. So here are the five rhetorical questions that Paul asks. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? We know the answer. Both are stark contrasts to one another. On Judgment Day, the Lord will say um, to many, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of wickedness and lawlessness. There is no parallel between the two. Second, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? 
Everyone knows the difference between light and darkness. Believers are called out of the darkness into the light. There is a difference. Number three, verse 15. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. Paul puts in contrast the two captains, light and darkness. The two captains are light and darkness. Christ is Lord of the light. He is the creator and sustainer of everything that is righteous. He is pure. He is holy. Satan, on the other hand, is a liar, a deceiver, and a murderer. Satan has come to kill and destroy, but, uh, and both Christ and Satan have no harmony together. There is no harmony together. They have two different goals and two different agendas. They're going in two separate directions, a matter of fact, 180 degrees apart. Fourth, found in verse 15, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And the answer is nothing. They have nothing in common. One has a treasure laid up in heaven, and the other one has a treasure laid up on earth. One wants to live in heaven for eternity with the Lord. The other one wants to live down here. And then fifth, verse 16, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? To the Jew, idolatry was utterly abhorrent, disgusting, and appalling. Although these were not Jewish but Gentile believers, they also were revolted by the practice. There was so much of a difference. The temple of God was built with wood and stone, but the people did not worship the building. The pagans worshipped the idols made of wood and stone, but believers worshipped the true and living God. Paul then says that we are temples of the living God. We are temples of the God, living God. God comes in, he lives within us. In other words, if God would forbid idols to be in a temple made of wood and stone, how much was, he, was it for the living stones to be separated from the dead stones? We are temples of the living God. The apostle wants readers to see from these five rhetorical questions that believers and unbelievers should not be bound together in any way. They should not be bound in partnership. They are different. Now we come to the last reason why the Lord says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers because number three, the believer is a child of God. Do not be yoked with unbelievers because believers are a child of God. Verses 6, 17 through 7, 1. Listen as I read this portion of Scripture once again. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be a son, and you will be sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God. In verse 17, Paul begins to emphasize his point again by quoting the scriptures from the Old Testament. He uses Isaiah 52 and Ezekiel, verse or chapter 37, verse 26 and forward. Isaiah 52:11 says this: "Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean things, come out from it." and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. And then, moving on to Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 26 through 28, I will make a covenant of peace with them, 
It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their number, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The nations will know that I am the Lord and make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them. Every year I read through the Bible, and presently I'm reading through Ezekiel. And as I read through it, there's probably about 20 or 30 times where um, he says this, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Um, It says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. The nations will know that I am the Lord. It's interesting, when God is dwelling amongst his people, people will know that they belong to God. They will know that the Lord is the one. These two Old Testament passages speak about when Israel had been taken captive by other nations because they had sinned. God then promised to call them out when they repented and turned back from their idolatry. And a matter of fact, that happened a number of times. You just read through the Old Testament, and you'll see how many times they departed and God would call them back. He would send them into some type of captivity, or another foreign power would um, overshadow them for some time until they cried out to God, and then God would deliver them. This happened numerous times. The implication is straightforward. When we turn our backs on all that is sin and turn to God, we become sons and daughters of God. We become a child of the Almighty when we turn to Him and we seek Him with everything that we have within us. Therefore, Paul goes on in chapter 7, verse 1, when he says, since we have these promises, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God. Paul calls to the Corinthians or Paul's call to the Corinthians is that since we have had these great promises uh, that have been given to us, we must make sure to cast everything off that would contaminate us in any way. This is called holy living. It's called re-examining yourself. It's called aligning yourself to the word. It's called avoiding anything that brings anything impure into our lives. A.B. Simpson gives us some insight in an article that he wrote, A uh, A Larger Christian Life. This is what he says. When when an observatory is about to be built, the site selected is always on a high mountain. The aim is to find a place where there is clear, unobstructed view of the heavens. Similarly, faith requires for its heavenly vision the highlands of holiness and separation from the pure sky of a consecrated life. Close quote. If we want to get close to God, we have to see God for who he is. We have to be able to see him found in the scriptures. But sometimes the things that we do will cloud our eyes, and we must remove the clouds from our eyes if we want to come close to God. The more we shed off the things in this world that are displeasing to the Lord, the more we come to know God more profoundly. So let's sum up regarding being not yoked with unbelievers. Being not yoked with unbelievers. There are some things we cannot change in commitments we have made in the past. Some things we can't change. However, before we do before we do anything concerning business enterprises, a partnership, a marriage, or a long-term enterprise, We need to seek the Lord fully with all of our hearts. Failure to do this will bring much heartache, difficulty, and disappointment, making it much harder to serve the Lord, if not impossible at times. 
in every partnership decision. Let's diligently seek God's face through the scripture, prayer, and wise counsel of godly people. When we are in line with the scriptures, when we are in line with God, we will find that we will fulfill the calling that he has given us, and we will be happy, or I should say joyful, knowing that God is at the center of our lives. And even when we go through the turmoils in our calling, because there will be turmoil in everyone's calling, we know that God will be in control and will have a conscience that says, you're on the right path. These difficulties are meant for your good, and God is honing you even more to become a vessel that he has created you to be. Closing song is My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. I believe it's going to be on screen in your bulletin, or if you want to use the book, 558. We'll sing the first three verses and then the last one after the benediction. close in prayer. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the principles that are laid out for us. And Lord, maybe we think to ourselves, I have none of these decisions left to make. But Lord, there's an important thing that you have called us to do, and that is to share and talk with others. If we can be an encouragement as young people get married, we need to encourage if we can be an encouragement as people are entering into business partnerships, we need to encourage them and point others to the scriptures. And we know that as we watch those who go before us, when they are making these important decisions, we can be praying for them, that your will would be done in their lives and that they would ask according to your will and follow that. So thank you, Lord, for the principles that you have established here as we have looked into your word today. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God of our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. <laughs>